Hello and welcome to the Poet Delayed Podcast. My name is Scott Edgar. I am your host. I'm here today with Josh Barron. He is my guest today. He's a good friend of mine. We met each other back in law school at BYU. I had I actually transferred to BYU from University of North Dakota, and I met exactly two people, Josh and Greg Jolly. And Josh and I have just been friends ever since. Uh, in fact, I credit Josh with my law degree. He uh, helped me get through federal courts. <laughs> I had a, We had a professor there that he was a walking encyclopedia. And anyway, with Josh's help, I was able to study and pass that final and, and move on from there. So anyway, he's here with me to talk about uh, a poem of mine called Forgotten Walls. And I wanted to read that poem first. I'm going to talk a little bit about it. And then uh, Josh and I will have a discussion about it. So here we go. It's called Forgotten Walls. Clarity comes and the walls reveal themselves, tall, strong, and immovable. In the haze and fog, which is his daily walk, their existence is blurred. They are forgotten. Though he was there when they were built and even added stones. Now in clarity, he looks to bring them down, stone by stone. And so he works relentlessly with pick and hammer as his salty sweat stings his eyes and his muscles and mind fatigue. Yet his only yield from the Sisyphean task is bloodied palms and frustration, while the stones remain one upon the other. Then slowly and imperceptibly, under cover of his exhausted heart and mind, the fog seeps back in and hides the stony barricade. So I wrote this poem a couple years ago, and um, I didn't really know what it was going to be when I started it. I just started writing. I just This idea came in my head. Clarity comes. And then I thought about walls and and... As I started writing it more, the idea just kind of formed, and I, I, I just felt that I needed to write a poem about what I feel like my life has been like, surrounded by walls that I didn't see, feeling like I was, feeling like I was, um, that I had free reign, but not realizing that there was a wall around me that really limited what I could do and where I could go. And I didn't see that and I didn't realize that. And, you know, as I, as I was preparing for this podcast, I actually recorded episode two, the, <clears throat> the Rilke poem, Ignorant Before the Heavens of My Life. And I, I, there's a correlation between the two and that, you know, I, I looked at that poem by Rilke and, and looked at that as if it's a, um, it's the call, the, the mythical hero's journey. This, you know, it's it kind of encapsulated the call in in, a, in the journey, and that's kind of what happens in this poem. That's how I've I've understood it. You know, the clarity comes, and I see the walls. That's the call in in the uh, mythical hero's journey, and we don't always accept the call when it comes. And so this is an example of so many times in my life when I see it and I feel it but rather than accepting the call and moving forward and and um, going through with that journey I start it 
and then it's just too much for whatever reason and I turn away from the call and I just go back and that's you know uh, expressed here when the fog comes back in and I forget about it and I just I, I would just kind of continue on the status quo was how it was before so that that was that was this poem it it, it just really I felt like um, represented well how for so long in my life I approached these issues it was easier for me to stay within the walls than to um, do what was necessary to bring them down and one thing that I, I really that I added actually after I finished the poem is the part where uh, where I say uh, their existence is blurred they're forgotten and then I wrote though he was there when they were built and then later I added and even added stones because I feel like I've done that in my life. You know, I've, I've got these, these events in my life that have these, these stones, these walls that were built largely without my, you know, from external things have built these walls around me. For whatever reason, I, I didn't prevent them. But in addition to that, I also have done things in my life to add stones to the wall. And so anyway, that, I, I added that in after the fact because I felt it was uh, an important part of this equation here. And then, so I, I referenced Sisyphus here, and you know he's, he's in mythology, he's the guy who's rolling the rock up the hill, and it rolls back down, it rolls it up, it's just a perpetual cycle of pushing the rock up, and that's kind of, that really represents how I feel things have been for, how I've gone about things. Just, and I think a lot of it is not understanding what the problem was. Not understanding the the source of the the uh, feelings I was having, you know. I mean, you need to if you want to cure a disease, you need to understand the source. And, and so, anyway, that's you know, with regards to the poem, that's what I was trying to express, and that's what I was trying to get across. Um, Josh, you've you've read it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? What, you know, what are you what are you thinking about it? Can I make a disclaimer first? Uh, no, no disclaimers on the show. <laughs> My disclaimer is that I don't, I'm not like, um, I don't feel like insightful on poetry at all. So um, if I say I'm, I'm comfortable in my stupidity a little bit about it. Yes. But, um, but I, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you sharing it with me and letting me kind of chat with you about some thoughts that come to me. Um, something that's interesting to me, maybe because, you know, I'm always thinking about editing legal writing is... Um, you know, I, I notice a lot passive voice versus active voice. And so the, the passive voice lines to me are clarity comes, it's, you know, the poem is very ambiguous about what that, where it comes from or why it goes away at the end of the poem. You know, um, I thought that was interesting. And then I, and then the other, um, passive voice line that hit me was, um, he was there when they were built, you know not, you know, kind of omitting the the builder of the walls, you know. Apparently you participated in them or the, the speaker in the poem participated in them, but there's a primary builder that's not mentioned, you know. So I thought that was um, interesting. Um, I thought the first line is, um, it resonated with me because it's, 
it's kind of like a bracing start. It's kind of like cold water. You know, we're in it already. Like it doesn't ramp up. It just starts, you know. And uh, and I think that that is true for those little epiphany episodes in our lives that sometimes they do just come and it's not clear why they came and they are kind of like a, um, you know, somebody pouring cold water on you. Um, something else is that there's no other, um, like the only other people that are mentioned are the possible other builders of the wall and um, Sisyphus. So, like, this person is very alone um, in this brief moment of clarity. Like, there's no one else in there with them. Um, so, I, you know, obviously this isn't probably your most optimistic and, and uh, jolliest poem. It's not, it's not probably like a Christmas poem or something. <laughs> but, but uh, so, yeah, just, I just thought that there were some interesting things there about who's, who is doing the stuff in this poem. Um, there, there are very active moments where the speaker works relentlessly um, makes a plan to bring them down. You know, he's bloodied his palms. Um, he's frustrated. Um, and then there's very passive moments, like when the walls are built or when the clarity comes or when the fog comes back. Well, I got to say, um, I think it's pretty good, pretty good analysis for, <laughs> for, you know, coming from such stupidity. You have to say that about you guys. No, no, I don't. I, you wait. I'm going to take some <laughs> guests apart. No, I won't do that for any potential guests. Um, no, I think the points that you make are really good. And, and what's interesting to me is I don't think about, like, when I'm writing, you know, I, I mentioned in the last episode that that the thing I like about poetry is people can read it and different people can get different understandings because what you talked about, like the aloneness, only having Sisyphus, and and <clears throat> you're the one who originally pointed out to me the, the passive voice mm. when, I, when, I, when I first wrote it. And I didn't think about that when I was writing it. I just kind of I didn't it. remember that I'd say, said that. I I feel bad now for repeating my... <laughs> oh, no, but nobody else, see, nobody else had heard it. Okay, so yeah. now you're just admitting to that, but, but that's okay. Um, but that, I, I, so I love this. I love, I love having this conversation with you because you're talking about things that I wasn't thinking about when I was writing the poem, but I think are very pertinent to the, or, or relevant to the issue in the in the poem and uh, I like 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 as far as the clarity comes I mean that's for my experience has usually been that whenever I feel this motivation to change or motivation to um, do something different it's usually not internally generated hmm. it usually comes externally and I'm hmm. trying to figure that out hmm. but it's usually like I'll be having a good day or something positive will happen to me and then I'll get this this external spark that will want that, that I will feel like I want to go do it but I want to go change I want to make 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 a change in my life and make a difference but it usually is not generated internally uh, so I'm actually trying to to do things that will impact that and so well it's interesting though that you call that external I don't know that I would. Um, with our one of our kids we're really working on external versus internal motivation mm -hmm. like the only thing that he responds to 
is video game time. Like, he's like, why would I live if it weren't for video games? And he's not, I don't think he's ever said that, but I think he really feels it. Like, he's like, why would, what, a day without video games is a waste. And so we've been talking to him about external motivation. Um, and so when you say, like, I'm having a good day, and so, like, externally something is pushing me, I don't think, like, having a good day isn't somebody, like, in, like paying you or bribing you, you know. I think a lot of times external motivation is basically a bribe. And so I don't know that that's external, okay. at least how I would think about it. No, I, uh, interesting. Um, I guess, so the way I think about it when I say external is I'm thinking about um, – Something is, I, I guess the way I would describe it is, I'm not doing anything, well, maybe a better way to say it is, it's more of a, a, a passive motivation. I'm not doing anything actively to create that motivation. Mm. Something's happening to me, whether it's external, maybe something internal, but I'm not actively doing something to create that, um, that clarity. Mm. It's just, it just comes to me. So maybe, maybe it's inside of me. Maybe it is internal. But it's, so maybe passive is a better you word. You just feel like you can't control when it happens. It, it, right, right. right. It, it happens when it happens, and I'd better be on, ready for it. Ready for it. Yeah, and I think that's probably true of all humans that, like, <clears throat> you can't really plan insight. You know, you can't. You, you, you do the work and you draw the connections, and then sometimes something opens up that wasn't yeah. there before. But I don't know that I would. I feel like it's like kind of like not taking credit for it. To say that that's external, because if you were like, the only times I make a change is if my bishop yells at me, or the only times I change are if my therapist says I'm not going to work with you anymore unless you, then I would say, yeah, that's that's external motivation. But I was inspired by a painting and I decided to be better that day. That seems very internal to me. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I think that um, I think at the bottom of, or at you know the 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 gist of. of the idea that I'm expressing is that I wasn't out there actively doing something to cr- try to create that. It, I was just going about my life, you know, taking what came to me, mm. and every now and then I'd get the spark. Yeah, and I wasn't out there creating these these moments of inspiration. Yeah, I, I one of my absolute favorite books. This is like kind of a weird confession, but one of my absolute <laughs> favorite favorite books is um, "Open" by Andre Agassi. Mm. And he has periods where he, when you said inspiration, it kind of triggered that thought with me because he says, sometimes I felt inspired and I could play great tennis. And then there are other times when I knew I was better than my opponent. This isn't a quote, but this is kind of like the message of his book. There are other times when I knew I was better than my opponent and I just couldn't bring myself to care enough to play them to the level that I knew I could play. Like I'd let myself lose and I'd be disgusted with myself that I let myself lose. But I just didn't have that inspiration that day. And um, and I I identify with that. It sounds like you kind of do too, where mm-hmm. it's like, why didn't I have it today? Like, shouldn't I have had it today? And maybe even like feeling guilty or shame about not having inspiration on a particular day. Um, I think that he gets more of it as he gets healthier and as he has healthier relationships. Um but just that insight of, like, sometimes I'm inspired and sometimes I'm not, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of an – like, I wouldn't have used those words. And it, so and he it, used inspire. He used yeah, he word. uses the word inspired, if I remember right. It's been that's a little bit. Cool. It might be time to read it again. It's so it must dang be. good. I mean, he's very um, self-aware in a way that I think your poetry is, too, where you're not, like, trying to gloss it. Like, he's like, this is 
Here's some death stuff I did. It wasn't great. You want to hear a little, uh, little uh, um, trivial, trivial trivia? <laughs> That's true. When I lived in Las Vegas, I uh, I painted house while well, I did all the prep work, and one of the houses that I was working out was on the west side of Las Vegas, which is now probably the middle of Las Vegas, but um, it was right next to Andre Agassi's house. Yeah. Agassi Court, that's where he lived. He had yeah. a cul-de-sac. Agassi Court. <laughs> and Randall Cunningham lived there too. So that was kind of cool. But Randall anyway. Cunningham from the Vikings? Or from the Eagles. Uh, yes, not Randall Cunningham. There you go. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, 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 I can relate to, to that as well because there are times, like in law, for instance, there are times when I just feel, I had a, I had a trial once where, um, I was brought in a couple weeks beforehand to represent the wife, and then my friend was representing the husband, and I was trying to get caught up on the case, and I just remember going to trial, first day of trial, I was just like, my head was swimming, I was just like, okay, well, I've got to, all I was thinking about were all these traditional approaches to the trial, mm-hmm. traditional opening, traditional, you know, witness uh, questions, so I was just thought, I've just got to make sure that I don't uh, screw up. Yeah. Like I don't yeah. malpractice. I got to yeah. make sure that I, I follow the rules. Well, I had filed a motion just like the day of the morning of the first trial, uh, the first day of trial, I filed a motion and the judge was mad because he told us no more motions, but I thought I got to file this because I thought it was important. And he got mad at me. And then, uh, we were just, be, you know, before it was the day of jury selection before the jury was selected, he sat down and he said, I just, before we get started, I want to read this. You know, I was given this motion by Mr. Edgar and he he had read it, and he actually ended up taking it under advisement. And, and he actually made a ruling right before trial started. And as soon as he ruled, it was like in my head, I knew exactly what I needed to do. And it was not conventional. Hmm. And I, you know, the, the, the I was actually um, representing the defendant in that case, which is unusual. But when the plaintiff's attorney sat down, I stood up and made a motion for a directed verdict. Hmm. And the judge granted it and hmm. got my client out like nice. that. And, and so, but that was one of those moments where I just felt that inspiration. Hmm. And, um, so yeah, so I've, I've felt that before. Uh, and that was, I don't know, I think about that a lot about how it just, it just, I had no question. It right. was just clear to me right. and it was unorthodox, but not necessarily unorthodox. I mean, I'm not trying to say I like did some sort of a like crazy, um, legal show move you know <laughs> but it, but it was it was not it's not it was not the usual approach yeah you know it was well within the rules well well you know but it wasn't your first instinct no not at all but when it came i knew it yeah and i was able to follow through with it i yeah. had that energy but you know with regards to the poem you know and, and life in general um i i struggle with that motivation to keep it going and maybe the difference is the the, the shortened time frame of the trial hmm. i can keep it going for two days but when you are trying to make these um, substantive life changes that that are really changing i, I think the purpose of them is really to change yourself at a fundamental level that's not something that happens in two days, and that's not something that happens in two weeks, three weeks, two years. That's a lifetime pursuit, 
And in addition to that, it's not always a forward progress. You forward, backward, forward, backward, forward, backward as you're going on. And and for me, that's that's always been a hard thing. Anything that uh, that's why I like to write poetry and not novels because <laughs> I couldn't. Uh, you know, I've got novels in my head, but I just couldn't put them down. I'm not like uh, Yosef; I can't put them down. But well, what that makes me think of is I'm reading this book on note taking, and it tells about this this guy, this German sociologist who um, was, like, professionally active for, like, 30 years, and he published, like, 60 books, including um, his sort of final book while he was alive that, like, completely changed sociology and education and all these different fields. It was just, like, a revolutionary book. And I can't remember his name because it's very German. But you remember Andre Agassi? <laughs> I remember Agassi. So these two are your two Lundman, favorite books? Lundman? I don't know. <laughs> these are your two favorite books? No, no, but... Um, uh, and so people asked him, like, you know, how are you so, so productive during your career? And he said, I only do what I want to do, and I only do what it's easy. And so, like, what what you just said made me think of is, like, willpower is not a sustainable strategy. It's too finite. True. And so, like, doing something that's difficult over and over and over again, it's just, like, not realistic. And so... This guy found it kind of a note-taking strategy that he was able to maintain um, that made it so that he was just always, with minimal effort, creating the stuff that he wanted to create um, and never had to go through the agony of, like, oh, I gotta, I'm on deadline. And he mm-hmm. just, you know. And, it, and apparently he had, like, six books that were, like, 95% done when he died that were published right after his death that he just, like, they were just a product of his everyday activities. So I've been thinking that about that a lot, about, like, how to find routines or um, habits that are sort of self-reinforcing so that it's not like this, like, okay, I'm going to... Like, I've never consistently exercised. And I think one of the reasons is I freaking hate it. I've not, I've not found, like, an activity that I enjoy. So for a week or two, I can summon the willpower to force myself to do it. But then I'm like, why am I doing this again? And it's just not... You can't sustain that. And so... I don't know. I, I wonder if the guy in this, the poor bloody palmed guy in this poem, he's using so much willpower and so much energy, and it's not. There, where is the regeneration? You know, that's a great point. Because one, one thing that I've really um, been think, learning a lot about lately is, you know, rather than, and I kind of got this from not kind of I got this from Jordan Peterson. He talked about how. He says, you need to have a schedule. And, you know, people always say, I hate schedules. And he says, well, what kind of bloody schedule are you making? <laughs> Make a schedule that you want to keep, you know? Um, but I, I think for me, for, I'll just speak for myself. For so often in my life, I have tried to, you know, live my life according to a set rules that work for somebody else. Mm. And and that don't work for me. Mm. But I, I never stopped to think, wait a second, wait a second. It's okay not to follow those rules, right? You know, and and I talked about this in that last episode that you know, we need to know who we are, so that we can create this change in alignment with who we are. Like I love that, you know. He does it when it's easy, you know, and when it's not easy, go do something else, yeah. So that you can regenerate. And, right. and the the point you made about about forgotten walls earlier, you know, there's nobody else there. 
you know, is you know, are, are we trying to do this on our own? Right. I, I was always trying to do it on my own. Right. You know, I, I I was shrouded in shame and guilt, and and just thought that you know, I, I'm just going to try to make this change, and and so I would give Herculean efforts, always give Herculean efforts until I didn't, and then it didn't just. I mean, then it would come crashing down. You know, I mean, I I made ridiculous plans, ridiculous, mm-hmm. and, and I mentioned. Um, that a lot of times those plans were really just to kind of external. Like I'm gonna, sh- like look at this plan I've made. Yeah. You know, and I intended, maybe I, you know, I I told myself I intended to keep them, but a lot of it was like, hey, no, I got this plan, so you know, we're good, we're good. If I had a nickel for every exercise plan I had on Sunday evening that I was like so excited about, and then Monday morning I was like. What was I including this week? <laughs> like this week, Sunday, I was like, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And then Monday morning, I was like, why did I do any of that? That sounds terrible. Um, so it's just funny, like those two selves, like the self that's like, yeah, I, you know, I want to be that and I'm going to do that. And then the self that actually has to do it. It's they're not always talking to each other. They're not always aware of each other. So what do we do? I mean, what what have you found anything that's that works for you in that situation? Where because I'm the same way. Like I will make up. I'll go to bed Sunday night thinking, okay, I'm excited to get up at six in the morning. Go get out get out the door. I'm up in the canyon. I'm going to be running and hiking. And then my I, I wake up like at five fifty and I think, oh boy, I got ten minutes. <laughs> oh man. And then I I change my alarm to seven o'clock. Yeah. Well, I mean. One thing I do is I pay attention to what I finish. Because I think sometimes you feel guilty from different conversations we've had, like, oh, I wish I finished stuff more often. I think it's kind of like that Jordan Peterson quote. It's like, why are you, like, why are you starting things that you hate, you know? like. Mm. I, so, like, sometimes we have... So an example from me is I, you know, at one time my law firm was pretty big and we had, like, six attorneys and, like seven paralegals and I I had this identity of myself that I am a good manager of people and then the firm was chaos our clients hated us every one of my employees was miserable and I like and for a long time I was really mad at our clients or I was mad at our employees and finally I had to say like maybe I'm not as good at managing people as I thought you know um because, like, I noticed that whenever there was a conflict between working on one of my cases or managing my people, I always worked on one of my cases. So, I mean, I had a, I could have thought about that in a couple of ways. I could have been, like, really discouraged or I could have, like, tried to force myself through willpower to become a good manager of people. But what I did was I said, well, like, my time vote is always in this direction. I'm just going to follow that, you know. I'm just going to have fewer people to manage and more cases to work on. And that's been great for me so like I think sometimes like what you said about um, like having this plan for someone else like this is a good plan you agree with this plan don't you it's, it's you know it's that might be where you know when you talked about external versus internal that that's very external yeah. right yeah. and so like I think like internally is just saying like you know here these are two options neither one is bad neither one is good they're just options like having a big law firm isn't bad or good um, but what does my time show me I prefer, you know? Yeah, I, I like that. And that goes along with, you know, living in alignment with who you are. Yeah. And what you said, like, I mean, I think we can all figure that out by, you, you touched on it, where you just, you know, wh- where do you find satisfaction? Yeah. What brings you satisfaction? Yeah. And that may mean that you need to make some changes in your life. 
Yeah. Maybe you're not happy. I mean, you weren't happy with a big law firm. Yeah. And so you had to make changes. And that, that can be hard. And so rather than making those changes, we keep trying to tear the walls down by ourselves in some horrible, horrible way. Yeah. Yeah, there's that Henry Eyring story where his dad, Henry B. Eyring's dad is this, you know, amazing chemist. And, mm-hmm. and you know, they've been working on stuff on their, like, blackboard at home. And, um, and they're working on some chemistry problem. And the dad asks the son, is like, well, haven't you been thinking about this problem since we last worked on it? And Henry B. Eyring, the son, is like, no, I never think about chemistry when I don't have to. And so, like, that's neither good or bad. I mean, I think for the dad, he was hoping that Henry B. would share his love of yeah. chemistry. But he wasn't, I don't know, like, it's so hard. To, it's really easy to say and hard to do, but, like, you know, neither, it's not good or bad. It just is. And, like, being okay with that and accepting of it and kind to yourself in it and just saying, oh, it turns out I don't like chemistry as much as I thought. Oh, it turns out I don't like managing 10 employees as much as I thought. And so, I don't know. Um, but I think just following our, like, our time is, like, it's such a, you only get one vote per moment. You know what I mean? Like, what did you pick? And I think we can be really judgmental of ourselves and what we pick. But what if we said, you know, what if we just observed it and just, like, spent time with it and just said, hmm, that's interesting. You know, what does that teach me about myself? Um, rather than trying to force our identity onto the time, you know. I like that, yeah. Yeah, I think that that, and that, and by the way, that's, I think, a very good parenting tip as well is, mm. you know, don't, don't pigeonhole your kids. Don't make your kids want to do what you want to do. Like, pay attention to what your kids are enjoying. Yeah. And, you know, be aware and try to tailor experiences with them in that way. Give them opportunities to, to do other things. And, you know, I get that not that's not a luxury that everybody can do. But when you notice your child, like, you know, enjoying something, talk to them about it, you know, maybe give them some more opportunities. So I think it's a great parenting tip as well as a great personal development tip. Well, I, I think it's funny, too, because I think, like, for a lot of us, I think that it's kind of obvious when we're talking about someone else, but less obvious when we're talking about ourselves. Like, we have this like preconceived yeah. identity that we've kind of made up. And so we're just kind of like stubbornly insisting on it in a way that we never would with our kids. Like we would be much kinder to our kids about just letting them explore and find the right thing. Um, so anyway, did no, you ever read anything by Cal Newport, Deep Work or um, So Good They Can't Ignore You? No. In, in so, good he, he, so Good They Can't Ignore You, he might be making the opposite claim, which is that what you do isn't as important as getting really good at it. Like people who, who achieve some level of expertise and control over their schedules, they're happy regardless kind of of what domain it is. And so like what's really challenging is if you keep changing. Um, in that same book on note-taking, th- there was somebody who noticed that like in this town in Denmark, all of the bus routes took the same path for like the first two miles. And then after that, they branched out and went to all these cool places, but they all had to go through this one section of the city in the same way. And he was saying that for artists, a lot of times they do those first two kilometers, haven't done anything cool and unique, go back to the station and do the two kilometers. Mm-hmm. If they haven't done anything unique, go back to the station. And they just keep repeating that instead of 
letting it develop a little bit longer and seeing where it would have gone. So That's I guess, interesting. I mean, it's hard because like, I don't know, if all this was easy well, and simple, we would all have already done it. Yes, we would have. I, I think though that, you know, that point, who, Cal who, what's his last name? Newport. Newport. It's like the beach. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, I get that. I mean, if, if you're always changing what you're doing, then you're never going to um, achieve any proficiency in anything. I, w- I would think right. that would be the case. Um, but on the same token, I mean, if, if you're not happy doing what you're doing, yeah, then you, then there's, I don't care what you're, I don't care how well you have your schedule down. You're not happy. You're not happy. <laughs> right. And I think that it's important to, to have a, a meaningful life. I think you need to be doing something that's meaningful to you. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably, like, minimum... Like, there's just no chance that I'd be a good mechanic. Like, I just don't have any aptitude in that area. I don't enjoy it. That's maybe mean to mechanics. Maybe I could figure out how to be a good mechanic. I don't know. But, um, like, there's areas that I just have no particular aptitude. And so, um, there's areas where it would just be really hard to be happy. Um, So, like, my personal rule has been, like, if I find something where I'm willing to be bad at it, to become good at it in the future, then that's something that I can get through the first two miles of the bus right route with, you know. Um, but if I'm like, if I don't enjoy it enough to be willing to be bad at it, then that's probably not something that I can ever kind of break through on. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a pretty good point, actually. I, actually. Actually, that's a good <laughs> point, Josh. Well done, well done. Um, I, I like that, actually, because... I mean, so much of, you know, going back to the poem, for instance, when you make a decision that you want to change your life, I mean, a big thing, I want to change my life, that's going to be difficult. That's going to be hard. It's And your people are going to look at you because you're making big changes. And, and you know, it, it involves loss. It involves pain. And so in order to really... You, you need to, you need to, I don't know if sold on the idea is the right word, but you need to really believe that this change needs to be made. Otherwise, you're not, I mean, I, I guess it comes back to that alignment thing again. You know, is it in, line, in alignment with you or is it something that you feel like you have to do? Do you feel like you have to do it? If you feel like you have to do it, then I think it's going to be hard to do it. But, you know, there are moments when you just feel like in a line, like a I need to do this. I mean, I made some big changes in my life. You know, you, you're aware, you're aware of all of them that I have had the opportunity in the past to make, but I always reverted back to the uh, the comfort of what I knew. It wasn't really comfortable, but it was what I knew. You know, I guess the the um, not comfortable. What's the what would be a better word for that? The uh, familiarity of what I knew. Mm. I would retreat back into that familiarity rather than going out and doing what was going to be hard and people were going to notice I was going to there was going to be loss instead of doing that I, I, I wasn't ready to go out and do that yeah. and then you know you know last last year I, I just thought okay I, I it almost got to the point where it's almost like a do or die type thing you know um, where I felt like I just can't do it anymore I can't go back to the familiarity I need, I need to make some changes and then you know, when I made those decisions then a lot of other things out of my control started changing, hmm. but I, st- I still was already, had already made that decision and I had the fortitude 
a lot of support as well to to continue on even while certain things around me were disassembling because of my initial decision. I could have gone back and maybe those things would would have would have not those things wouldn't have happened, but I wouldn't have I wouldn't I would not have made the progress that I've made so far and I would still be stuck in that familiar do you feel like the difference maybe an open-ended question would be better but I'm going to ask the closed-ended version do you think that the that one of the differences is that like in this poem the old approach was very solitary and that maybe this time you're like going with people like you're being more like you're you're including more people in that journey instead of trying to just beat on the walls by yourself I, I think that's yeah absolutely because in the past I, I wasn't very open about what was going on you know and, and so I would just try to do it on my own and there were a few people who knew but but there was there's also a lot of you know, you know shame and, and, and embarrassment involved with changes in life sometimes like what are people going to think um, you know it's something different so your people are going to notice you know that people have a certain um, under, a certain opinion of you already. Is this going to impact it? There's a lot of uh, you know self consciousness involved with that. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that this time, rather than you know trying to take these walls down by myself, and they're not down by any stretch. I mean, they're they're still there. But um, rather than just swinging the pick and the axe by myself, other people are there to help me, to spell me, and and you can't do, you can't, I don't think you can make these personal transformations on your own. I, there, there is an element of it that I think is very personal. Hmm. That if it's not there, it doesn't matter how many people are around you, you can't do it. You have to have that core inside of you. Uh, I guess that's, that's that, that, that alignment thing we're talking about. That's, that's the, the uh, that internal desire to know and, and to know and to understand that I need this. I need this. You have to have that. It doesn't matter how many people are around you, because if you don't have that, then you'll find a way to make an excuse and get out of it. Mm. I mean, I, I've done that before, and I can say this, that there have been times where, this, even, even in the last few months, there have been times that I have been by myself. I mean, I still have support. But I have a lot of people I can call on. And... I've been by myself in my room feeling like I can't do it anymore. Hmm. I can't do it. I felt that way this morning. I can't do it anymore. I mean, I don't know what to do. Hmm. Um, But there's part of me that is, that, that I have acknowledged that can speak up and say, this is the right thing to do. Hmm. You're doing the right thing. And in fact, I, I, (laughs) Um, I, I, uh, I will envision myself, um, like I mentioned in like the last episode, I mentioned that I do a lot of things now that I used to laugh at people for, you know, <laughs> and that I still laugh at, I, I, I still would, I still think it's weird. I mean, there's a lot of this, when, when you're talking about like, um, you know, um, emotions and mental health, things like that, there's a lot of weird stuff. Our brains function different but but what I my point is that um, I envision myself 
like the, I don't know, the, the better version of myself, maybe the more whole, the more complete, the more with it person coming and just having a conversation with me and talking to me like in third person. I, I call it the Carl Malone technique. <laughs> Remember I used to, Carl Malone, Carl Malone. So I, I, I have him, he comes, he talks to me, he's like, hey, hey, you're going to be all right. And I, you know, we talked about breathing before we started this. And I, you know, I try to breathe, try to reconnect with myself, and I have a conversation with myself. And that sounds really weird, but but it is so impactful and effective for me because there's me talking to me and just saying, hey, you know, even if everybody else drops off, you still got me. Well, yeah, but, and I think that, too, it gives you you like this little fraction of distance from it so yeah. that you can like, you know, it's so hard like when you're in like a painful situation or you're uncomfortable and it just feels like it's always going to be that way. And then like if you just like step a couple of inches to the right, like that person can say, it's really miserable. I get that it's miserable. I'm you, so I feel that. But we both know like there's ups and downs. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like. Um, so I, you know, <clears throat> I think that's pretty close to kind of my internal monologue too, um, where, yeah, I mean like where I have to ask myself hypotheticals, like, like what would a healthy person do right now? What would a kinder person do right now? You know, and then just like kind of fake it a little bit to, yeah. to just get through that moment. Um, because, yeah, like I said, willpower is a finite resource. Like, you just can't tough it out. I don't know. Maybe those are two aren't really connected ideas. But that's just something I've been thinking about a lot is that, you know, if if your long-term strategy is based on just, like, doing something very, very difficult and very painful over a sustained period, that's, that's dicey. Well, my experience with that has been utter failure. Yeah. So Mine too. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, it's not sustainable. And... And what that leads to, my experience, that leads to failure and um, just attacking myself. Yeah. You know? And I just like, you're, you, know, you did it again. You, you, you failed. You said again. you were going to do this and mm-hmm. you didn't do it. Yep. Can I ask you a mean question? Mean, like M-E-A-N? Yeah. How would you write this poem now? Because like, I feel like this is a snapshot of a particular day and a you know, particular kind of moment in your life. But would you? Well, I, I don't know that I would write this very poem. This, I mean, so are you asking how I would write this? This because maybe, I would like write maybe, this poem the same way because it's expressing a certain type of right situation. But that's not what you feel right now. Um, or you do at times. But I, I not do at this yeah. moment. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, like the kind of going back to your analogy of like having this the slightly more together version of yourself. Mm-hmm. How would that person write this poem, do you think? Like, what metaphors would they use? You don't yeah, have to yeah, actually yeah. draft it. Um, I, would, I, would, I would probably... That's a good question. See, these are the lunches that Josh and I have. <laughs> we ask each other these questions. And usually it's him asking me questions, and I sit stumped. Um... I think kind of what we talked about earlier, I find a way to incorporate uh, – I'd find a way to incorporate uh, um, a more efficient maybe, – or not, maybe effective is a better word – effective way to attack the wall by 
I would incorporate more people into it, probably. Hmm. I mean, that's that's kind of what we've been talking about. You know, this was a solitary. You know, for my whole for as long as I've can remember, my approach has always been solitary. Or, or, or you know what? I, I probably would. Here's what I would probably do. I you know I'd incorporate other people, but I would also incorporate a metaphor that that addresses a um, an alternative way to bring the wall down, hmm. rather than just with a traditional. Um, axe and shovel or pick, whatever was, I would I would incorporate, like maybe I go over the wall, you know, or maybe rather than trying to bring it, or maybe I tunnel underneath yeah, it with yeah. the softer dirt, you yeah, know, yeah, rather than um, just yeah. going frontal assault yeah. the whole way, yeah, because that's that's ineffective, and yeah. well, it's interesting too because I think in the poem there's two modes that the writer experiences. One is this kind of fog, sort of willing um, ignorance or mm-hmm. or self deception, and the other is clarity, which is a super negative experience. But like, do, do you feel like you have moments of clarity now that are sort of joyful or productive? Yeah, I, I do absolutely. I, I have clarity. And um, why, why do you you mention what what makes it feel? Ne- uh, a negative clarity in the poem because the walls are so negative i see i see what you're saying so when there's clarity it's like oh man there's these terrible I walls see, yeah and then when the fog is there the walls are still there but you just don't have to know it right those are the only two options in the poem that i see maybe i'm missing no no it's right it's right on um this actually ties really well into the poem that i the rilke poem ignorant uh before the uh, before the heavens of your life because at the end he says better um Better that it live, meaning it's hard, better that it live uh, fully aware in the terror of its stars than as if protected, soothed by what is near. Hmm. So that really addresses what you just talked about. Um, Because the fact of the matter is the walls are, they are scary. When you first see them, like, oh, I mean, they're insurmountable. They they look insurmountable when you first see them. And so... um, I think that the the you know the that, that's why I think we need other people to get outside of the echo chamber in our head, so we can speak these things. Because I've spent a lot of time trying to figure stuff out in my own mind, just with myself. But it's just bouncing around. It's mm-hmm. like, a, and so I don't ever see a different perspective. But when you can talk to somebody else, or read a poem, or read or... a poem, yeah. Like in February, I had this horrible incident happen to me. And I don't want to go into detail of it right now, but I thought it was the, I didn't know how to address it. And I was going dark, literally going dark. And it was a legal issue and that I felt was unjustified and that I felt was completely, uh, I, I, I thought, why am I having to deal with this? And the impact that this may could have on me will be devastating. And I was going dark, literally. And I'm a lawyer. And I couldn't get my lawyer hat on. I couldn't <laughs> get it on there. Because I was just, all I could see was a parade of horribles. And then, like a few minutes later, a friend of mine, he called and he, he said, Hey, what you doing? And he, he knew what was going on. And he's a lawyer. And... I told him what was going on, and I was, like, panicking. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
just come on, let's think about this, you know. And through his help, I was able by the end of the phone call, I was like, oh, yeah, I see, I see, you're right, you're right, you're right. right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so important that we do have people that we can talk to about this, about mm-hmm. these things, whatever, whatever struggle it is that we have in our lives. The importance of having somebody who you can trust, who you know cares about you, I think that is like, I think ultimately that's what the game changer is. Mm. Because if it's just me, I'm going to revert. Yeah. I'm going to revert because it's going to be too hard and it's going to be too painful and too much. And I'm just going to say, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm just going to go, just going to go back into the hole, you know? Yeah. So, well, I mean, another thought that I had while you're talking is like from the perspective of the person speaking in this poem, the walls are only negative. They're only bad. And obviously like there's good walls and bad walls and there's walls who are good, but they're in slightly the wrong place or, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, um, I don't know. I just wonder if like this, um, narrator, like has considered that maybe the walls aren't bad. Like maybe the walls are good things. And, you know, I mean, that's a great point too, because I, and in fact, I, I addressed this in that last episode because I don't think it's always bad to live in the, the soothed state. Hmm. Like and the, the point I made was that children, if children experience a traumatic event, they will withdraw. They will cope. And I think that there are instances when we, when we are exposed to the terror of the stars, when we are, well, we're exposed either way, but when we are fully aware of the terror, that could do more damage depending on where you are in your life right. and what situation, you know, what, what your life experiences are. So I think that, um, that I think that you're right. There are good, t- there are, there are, there are times when those walls will protect you. They're big and they're tall and it's keeping stuff out. Right. And you're, you're safe back there, but there gets, I think, a point in your life where now they're more of a hindrance because you're a grown adult and you can't do what you need to do to live in right. society. Right, Like, so there may be walls that are good at a certain time and then they need to come down at yeah. another yeah. time. Um, but, like, we don't want to live in a world with no walls. Right. We need know? boundaries. I mean, that's, that's part of being healthy relationships is having proper boundaries um, but not necessarily, um, well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's I, I think it's a, it's a personal, each person needs to evaluate that for right. themselves. And I wonder if maybe it's like the, the challenge is the unexamined walls. Like, mm. are you sure yes. you want that wall? Yeah. But like there might be walls so you go, yeah, I want to keep that wall right there. Feel great about yeah. that wall. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. So, um, well, I, do you have anything else you wanted to, I mean, this is, you should, you God, should. Let me give you one last thought. Yes, yes. I, these are always the best, so listen up. <laughs> I mean, it just makes me think about that Robert Frost poem that I misunderstood my whole life and one of the very, very few poems that I have thought very much about, but, you know, about the good walls make good neighbors. Mending it's, walls. Yeah, that it's it's sort of a sarcastic poem where mm-hmm. um, from one pers- like from the like the initial perspective of the poem is this wall is great and from Wall's the high and hog tie. <laughs> right. And then from the other perspective, like the one that I think is Frost's real point, which I, I haven't read in a long time, so if I'm paraphrasing it wrong. But that he's saying, No, this is a problematic wall. So 
yeah, I mean, walls depend on perspective and, um, I mean, that's probably the most famous poem about walls, don't you think? Like, well, uh, that's, yeah. there's only like four poems that I know and that's one of them. So maybe, but like, you know, so I think, yeah, I think like if you're going to write a poem about wall, walls, you kind of have to think about how it fits with Frost's idea of that wall, mm-hmm. that specific wall, um, and how he so masterfully like basically makes two full, full throated arguments about the wall at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that's more powerful to me is that this is a bad wall, but, um, yeah. So I don't know that obviously these walls are causing misery to this poor person in the poem. Um, but I don't think, and, and all he's trying to do in the poem is get rid of the walls. But yeah. He's kind of indiscriminate. I think he's, he wants, yeah. he thinks all walls are. And, and because he's trying to get rid of it and he's indiscriminate and that's all that he cares about. And as a result, he just reverts back. He just, he says, well, I'm, he just, gonna for, I'm just going to forget him then. I'm yeah. just going to go back, go back to, to the fog. Was. I'm not, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Because another thought too might be, there's a wall here. I don't like it. I wish it wasn't here, but I don't know that I can get it down. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to be with the wall. Be you know? with the wall. <laughs> this, Bruce Lee. Be with the wall. Be water. This, this um, narrator can't handle that. Mm-hmm. You, you know I'm the narrator. Don't right. You? right. Yeah. But I want to give you some <laughs> <laughs> But I, But I also, like, like you know, just as in your analogy of the slightly more well-adjusted person talking to you, like, we contain many selves. And mm-hmm. so, like, this self... Yeah was that that day but that doesn't have to be all of yourselves not every single part of you has to endorse yeah well i appreciate that and that's my last thought (laughs) see i told you last thought's always the best thought with josh um thank you josh for 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 being with me you are the very first guest i wish i had a gift to give you but i don't (laughs) Uh, my friendship (laughs) you you already had that (laughs) um anyway so i appreciate your time and I just I appreciate everybody who who takes the time to, to listen to this and um, you know if if uh, you have an opportunity to subscribe and give me a review on on whatever platform it is that you listen to I'd appreciate that and um, if you have thoughts about this episode about the poem about anything that um, I said if you have any critiques about Josh <laughs> feel free to uh, email them to me uh, poetdelayed at gmail.com. I appreciate, again, your listening, and uh, until next time, thanks. Bye.